Hey folks, don't forget that Jim and I are doing a live event in Walt Disney World. The dates are November 10th through the 13th, and we have more information available at our travel partners website, storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. We've got all kinds of fun things digital from walks through Pandora to drinks at Coronado Springs, where we'll be overlooking the gorgeous landscaping and construction progress that's going on there. Plenty of time with me and Jim, plenty of time in Walt Disney World. Again, take a look at our travel partners website, storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish for more details. And now on with the show. Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish podcast with Jim. It's me, Lentesta. Today, we're going to continue our talk about Pandora and all the week's news. In order to do that, we need to bring back the man who puts the fun in dysfunction. One Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Okay. <laughs> That's with a Y, right? Dysfunction? Okay. Sorry. All right, Jim, some interesting news this week. I want to start right in on it, and we're going to wrap up at the end of the show with our reviews of Pandora's food and merchandise. First interesting bit of news I would like your take on. It was WESH Channel 2 mm-hmm. in Orlando who filed something on May 18th that asked, is Universal's new attraction, Volcano Bay, a distraction for drivers? And the thing that they pointed out, Jim, was that in the section of I-4 where Volcano Bay is, between Kirkman and Sandy Lake Roads, the number of accidents are up 53% year over year, and injuries are up 158% year over year. They're saying there might be a, a link between the Volcano Bay construction and the accidents. And uh, the reason why I think this is important is Universal just started nighttime testing of the volcano eruptions, right? Mm-hmm. Leaving out whether we think that Volcano Bay is actually causing accidents, there have to be discussions going on between Universal and the Florida Department of Transportation on this, right? They had discussions about this. In fact, one of the reasons why the mountainside that faces the highway is the green, lush side of the mountain as opposed to the exploding side of the mountain, that was a deliberate choice. And that was a negotiation with the Department of Transportation and the locals. And Oh, the, you wouldn't see the lava flow going down the mountain. That's it, exactly. So from Universal side of the fence, they thought this was done. And now... It's a 180-some-odd feet tall. They haven't really done the full exploding lava show yet. It's kind of interesting that we are now dozens of hours away mm-hmm. from the debut of Volcano Bay and Pandora. And significant chunks of both aren't finished yet. Yeah. No. <laughs> Speaking of Pandora, I was flat out told two days ago that the very first day that Disney will be putting people in the park with a full load of folks with the nighttime lighting profile and figuring how to move people in and out of this part of that park is opening day. (laughs) If you you go back to your Disney history, I mean, I love the fact that the day they opened Disneyland, oh, we need queues. Oh, somebody got into the store and get a lot of chain. Sometimes this just happens. You know, you're you're doing the best you can, and it's only when you throw open the doors and get people inside that you figure out how to operate this thing. And, And to go back to the safety issue, obviously that really is a concern. And you know, oh, yeah. one wonders if Universal is going to be forced to mute its fire effects. But I, I guess going forward, we're, we're just going to have to find out because, I mean, how many people driving up and down I-4, when you think about from the Disney corridor on going forward, I remember oh, yeah. when the Dolly Parton thing was there and how many 
country music fans would pull over to get pictures of the building and end up with their cars getting totaled. Right. Yeah, to be fair to Universal, the, mm-hmm. the entire stretch of I-4 there is a construction zone. It's entirely possible mm-hmm. that it's simply the fact that there's so much construction going on. And I think, if I recall correctly, driving through there, aren't there, like, many uh, either lane shifts or lane changes now oh, that happen? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that could be it, too. But at the same time, one wonders if we're not going to end up with a Disney World entrance situation where it's, do not slow down, do not stop. I know, it's, it's a giant Mickey waving at you, but keep going. Yeah. I wonder what, uh, if Universal could do something like screens or tarps. I think, you know, I tend to think a lot of it is just is the new construction. No, that's it exactly. And anyone who's actually been on I-4 at certain times of day, seven miles an hour. Oh, I dream of going seven <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> I dream of, of the day when, when my automobile hits that speed on, on this wow, particular you know, we're moving now, kids. Only another 20 hours till we get to Disney. You're actually heading down for the Volcano Bay media yep, event, right? Yep. And so you're doing Volcano Bay. But I understand Disney is, uh, has also extended you an invitation for something. Yes, yes. Such as the life of Jim Hill, the, the world traveler. Go ahead. You know, it seems ungracious to complain about this. But yes, this is kind of the arms race situation we're in right now. That Volcano Bay and Pandora are opening the exact same window. Which, if you look at the calendar, you get it. We've got the Memorial Day weekend coming, three-day weekend. It's you know mm-hmm. basically the official start of summer. But the kicker is that Disneyland is also opening Guardians, and Disneyland reached out and said, hey, right. do you want to? So I'm getting up at, like, the crack of dawn on Thursday, getting on a plane so I can be out in California for the media event for Guardians, and then promptly turning around and going to the airport and flying home because you got to eventually write about this stuff. But it's right. going to be three theme parks in four days, and two of those days are on planes. So... I guess next week, Glenn, I'll be telling you about how I was trapped in an elevator with lava, you know, and <laughs> and this blue guy kept trying to offer me food. Other interesting news this weekend, we heard that, uh, there, or we saw that construction permits have been filed for construction behind the universe of energy. <laughs> yeah, and it started, folks. I know we've been talking about the long, big project for Epcot, and in fact, I have to tell this story because it comes by way of a friend who was talking with John Lando. I'm, I'm working on the story for Huffpo about having interviewed John, and he's the producer of, of Avatar and has been consulting on Pandora. But John's been here for about a month. Really? Yeah, he, he's been on property for the last sort of tweaks and such, and He's been killing time as well. He's waiting for Pandora to open. So he went to Epcot Sunday before last, and he came in to, to work afterward. And he's sitting down with the folks who were working on Pandora. He said, hey, I went to Epcot this past weekend. And there was this kind of a pause. It's like, why do people go there? Jesus, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one of the guys he was working with said, don't worry about it. We're going to take it out soon with a tactical nuke from, from in orbit. <laughs> and, and, and John kind of blinked at him and said, oh, wait a minute. That's a joke related to you probably didn't make aliens with James Cameron. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Wrong movie. All right. But, yeah, wrong, um, wrong venue there, but okay. All right. But all anyway, right. yes, this is the start of the five-year-long $2 billion redo of Epcot. And what they're doing is they're changing a setup from some canals that are just outside the park that help with water management. They're looking to sort of expand the back of house area which tells you that the footprint for what they're doing in this park is going to consume 
a lot of backstage area. But again, this is a five-year project, Glenn, and I'm wondering if they're even going to admit it at the D23 Expo in July. I mean, they're working on the presentation now that talks about the gondolas, but are they ready to admit that Epcot's about to get its own DCA-like redo? Is it going to be one of these scenarios where, like the DVCs at the Grand Floridian, we walk by the construction site and Disney doesn't acknowledge the bulldozers? Because this is back of house, yeah, they don't really have to talk about it yet. One of the things that you and I both heard earlier this year was that this plan was put in place and then there were some real concerns about the dip in a internationally based attendance mm-hmm. that tied back to the whole visas issue. And yeah. it, as a result, you end up with this situation where people are like, okay, maybe when you want to tap the brakes, do we really want to commit to $2 billion when you know we may right. suddenly be in the situation where people aren't even coming for internationally anyway for, for Star Wars experience? So, But yeah, this is sort of the equivalent of clearing the chessboard or corner of the chessboard to begin the first real move. They want to have at least the first big attraction or two up and ready for the 50th anniversary, which again is 2021. But this is a project that is going to extend well beyond that. Well beyond 2021. Yeah. Who knows? Bob Iger might actually be packing up his office and be ready to leave by then. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking at some point in the not so distant future, we'll be walking through the flight of passage corridor and instead of the giant navi that they're growing in the tube maybe they'll, they'll be growing another eiger <laughs> it's successor look when the navi's done the navi's done that's right <laughs> that's it all right so uh so one last thing last time we had talked about the rides at pandora I want to give a quick update on where we are with reader surveys on that i want to talk a little bit about some of the issues that have popped up and then mm-hmm. uh, do a deep dive into the and the merchandise around it. So real quick, we've been collecting reader surveys around the new rides at Pandora, the Navi River Journey, and the Flight of Passage. So we don't quite yet have enough to be statistically significant. Uh, so we're not quite at 30 surveys each, but very, very close. So here's where we're at right now. On a scale of 1 to 5, 5 stars being a super-duper headliner monumental ride. Navi River Journey is at 3.75, and Flight of Passage is at 4.5. To put that in context, Safaris is 4.9, Everest is 4.7, Kali is 4.1, Rivers of Light is 4, and Dinosaur is 4 as well. So Flight of Passage looks to be, right now, the third highest rated attraction in the park. doesn't do particularly well with young children, and I think there's a reason for that. Navi River Journey looks to be the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Mm-hmm. Rated attraction, which I mean, is similar, right? Seventh, seventh is you know probably yeah. where it's where it's at. Mm-hmm. It does not seem to do well with teens and young adults. Flight of Passage, and this, I want to talk to you a little bit about this. When we look at the relatively low rating that getting from young kids, three point five stars out of five. We know that that Disney hasn't created three D glasses that fit young children's heads. In fact, we talked about on the last show the fact that cast members are telling parents to just let their kids hold onto the glasses and not onto the handlebars of the ride. How does something like that happen? This ride's been in construction five years. How is it that they don't have glasses that fit kids? And I, and I want to put this into the other context. There's definitely some feedback that, that we're seeing in our reader surveys about the lack of roll-on wheelchair access for both Navi River Journey and Flight of Passage. 
And interestingly, a lot of people are putting this in the context of the movie itself, where Jake, the main character in Avatar, is a paraplegic. Yeah, that one particularly, from a PR point of view, is just biting Disney in the ass. Pandora is about getting the details right. Just this weekend, Disney has got pictures out there, but we have a special wheelchair that we can use to transfer people. You know, see, it's right here. I don't know how they built it or anything, but it's, it's this uh, sort of a, a rectangular black metal pipe thing that, I guess, assists wheelchair guests to transfer into the boat. Was this a, was the result of a late-night trip to Home Depot? I mean, I, <laughs> you're looking at that going, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, again, when, when you look at the, the land and what they've done, it, it is genuinely spectacular. Yes, it's embarrassing that they didn't think about this. And yes, Jake in the movie gets in a wheelchair. But it's just sort of like what we were just talking about, about the day of doing the lighting tests or how you handle the people. It's just sometimes you're just... They, sometimes, sometimes people tell you when you're going to be ready. Not you don't. Yeah, you don't no, tell that's people. Exactly. When you're... <laughs> you know. I mean. Well, I mean, you know, that's what I love about dealing with the guys on the feature animation or Pixar side, where it's like, you never finish a movie; they take it away from you. That's unfortunate, but they're fixing it on the fly, and that's the thing of social media these days. When you're not delivering, boy, you know. I will tell you from folks who worked on Pandora who were seeing the reaction to. The ride, I won't lie to you, they're not happy that it's a 3.5 or a 4.2. They've worked really hard for a lot of years, and they wanted to wow people, and they feel like they're not wowing folks. The hope is that as we get to 2020 and that that next set of Avatar movies starts marching out into theaters, that people will be that much more excited about the place. And when you look at the people who are in the gift shop now, you know, pulling things off the Mm -hmm. shelves... Clearly, there are some people who are really responding to this. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, those numbers have quite a few people in it who have given both of those rides five stars. Mm -hmm. It's certain demographics that are pulling it down. It's not across the board. But that's significant when you can hit the fact that Navi River is just certainly too mild for teenagers and young adults. It's lovely to look at, but it's like, when does something go horribly wrong? Come on, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for something to go horribly wrong. Yeah, so the groups that it doesn't do well with, with are teens, young adults, and over 30s. Oh, really? Yeah, the ratings there are, uh, uh, average rating there is two stars for teens, two stars for young adults, and around three and a half for young adults. So that's where, that's what's dragging them down there. I mean, uh, young kids give it four and a half or four stars, depending on how old they are. Seniors give it four stars. It, nobody gives it five stars. It's not going to be a five star, but it's not built to be a five star attraction. No, right? no. The thing I heard about the wheelchair access on Navi River Journey mm-hmm. was something along the lines of adding in the weight of like an ECV or a wheelchair would cause the boats to bottom out. And I think this kind of makes sense because we talked in the previous show mm-hmm. about how these are not five row long boats. These are two row, basically two or three persons per row boats. They're relatively small. They do not displace a lot of water. And because they don't displace a lot of water, water displacement being a combination of volume and weight, they, they might be able to support a wheelchair, which, I mean, what is a wheelchair weigh? 20 or 30 extra pounds. I mean, that's within the tolerances. But, you know, you drive a 120 or 130-pound ECV on there, then you could run into issues where, remember, was it It's a Small World or Pirates, mm-hmm. where the, the boats were continually running aground. I think there's much less margin of error with weight and water displacement in a smaller boat than there is in a larger boat. That could be their concerns there. I get that, but... But still, yeah, they should have, you, you should have known this three or four years ago. Let me ask this question, because somebody asked me this question directly, and I, I didn't know the answer. Mm-hmm. When they're designing rides, 
Does Disney have someone in the room who is an advocate for the people who need who ride wheelchairs? Is there someone in the room who says, will this ride system that we're, we've built, does this accommodate this particular demographic of people? You start to deal with it when you're bringing the focus groups in. And I, I think the thing that, that makes me craziest about this is there was talk for the both the Disneyland and the Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom Jungle Cruise, a talk of creating a separate boat dock and a boat that would accommodate the differently abled folks that would allow them mm-hmm. the entry point where you do the fast pass of that sort of thing. It's like, oh, sir, ma'am, please head on over to our special launch just for you and your family. And you could have all the time in the world you needed to get loaded on and loaded off. Right. They have this in Toy Story Midway Mania. The car will go off to a separate area and allow people to enter and exit at their own speed. I mean, Disney is clearly aware of this. And this is a priority, something they are looking at you know, going forward. And the fact that in this instant, particularly, again, in a film about a paraplegic, it, to have this be the ride where it's like, oh, yeah, we forgot that. It is. It's embarrassing. They're addressing it as quickly as they can. And with a boat ride like this, if that was, in fact, going to be an issue, maybe you needed to look at different boats. Aren't there some boats at Small World where the boat itself is handicap accessible, but it's like one boat out of 20 or whatever, and you've got to wait? You could do the same thing, right? They could make one special boat out of the, I guess... You're always looking at hourly throughput. You're always looking at satisfying the maximum number of guests while at the same time making sure that all guests at all level of abilities can enjoy these things. And sometimes there are just experiences that there's just no way around, but something like this where it's a boat ride. Yeah, I'm sure Disney's going to be all over this, and I'm sure they'll have a fix for it. So Here's Owen. Uh, Jim, let's stay in Pandora and talk a little bit about the merchandise we had. Mentioned the last time the Ryzen shows. What do you what do you think of the merchandise available at at Pandora? <laughs> well, I love how it runs the gamut between the My Little Pony version of the the, the creatures that are in the jungle. <laughs> That's a good, point. good way of putting it. Right up until the authentic same art design of the bioluminescent plants. You can buy a giant seed pod that's, instead of being six or eight feet tall, this one's only maybe a foot tall. This is the first wave of stuff where they they try to decide what people will actually want. Uh, The Navi tail thing that you can attach your belt, that was fun. You know, the ears. That was interesting, yeah. All of the bioluminescent stuff, I don't honestly know how many people are going to want to have $60 versions of themselves as avatars created. Oh, Jim, that, that looked when I was walking around, that that was the hot item to get. These little was it really? um, these little the little banshee things? Oh, no, no, no. This is the, the no, the banshee thing, that is evidently the breakout toy. Oh, okay, okay. All right, okay. All right, All but right. that's that's a $49 price point. I'm talking about just the next exhibit area over in the shop where there's these cases of like foot high banshee action figures where you can get your face scanned and they take your features you decide what the face paint is the decoration and you go away and you come back in a couple of hours and here you are in navi form ah okay okay so i didn't see that mm-hmm. and that's a it's a photo well no there's actually this display case or two and three different display cases of, of figures in various poses of that something to show you what the finished product would look like and really yeah 
for me, it's always interesting to get in the door early and see what the retail folks have decided. Uh, are going to be the hot things, right? Yeah. And for example, one of the items is you can actually have a piece of unobtainium that you can have on your desk that you know sits there and floats. Or there's the drum sets, the toys that supposedly, when you're moving them or that sort of thing, not only when they glow, but the plants around it will respond sort of, sort of a... The glow-in-the-dark ears thing all over again. I think the avatar thing, the walking, uh, the banshee on your shoulder, was the thing that people were walking around with. And it's got a little hand controller, right, that you can you can make it do things with? Yeah. In fact, I got to meet the young man who had actually developed it for the parks. And it was an idea he brought to the company that they really enjoyed. And here, suddenly, it's in the park. I guess what was startling to me was to see... 10 or 15 people standing in the queue waiting for their chance to adopt their baby banshee and take it home. I'm such a bad person. All I could think of is I want to bring that home and torture the cats. <laughs> the, the, cats would, the cats would kill in the middle of the night. Yeah. There we go. There we go. All right, so let's talk. Uh, let's talk then about the uh, the food. Did you get a chance to sample the food when you were at... I did. I did. But again, the problem at... A press event is the big thing at this Satuli Canteen. Satuli Canteen? Yeah. Satuli Canteen. You know, the, the gimmick here is that the, because the Nave are so into nature and live healthfully and, and that sort of thing, this is a fast, casual restaurant that, that's really embraced that aesthetic. So the bowls that are kind of the big feature at this place where you, you start off with, right. you know, your greens and then your proteins and then your sauce. What they did is they brought us all of them at once, and we were supposed to build our own bowls. You know, you look at me, it's like, yes, this is a manager's experience with building a healthy meal. (laughs) I sampled the individual components by themselves, the red and sweet potato hash or Mm -hmm. the quinona and vegetables. And it was all wonderful. What did you think? I mean, how did you approach it? We approached it the way we always do when confronted with Studying choices, and we ordered one of everything. Okay. You pick a protein, you pick a base, you pick a sauce. So it's mm. very cheap, like, uh, and you assemble it. The proteins are uh, chicken, fish, beef, tofu, and mm. veggies. Yep. The bases, I believe, are potato hash, kale, mm. salad, a quinoa. Yeah, quinoa and vegetable salad. Yeah. The way they differentiate for the kale salad is. Mix whole grains and rice, or the uh, romaine or kale salad. So healthy greens, and they have that show grill in the center. It reminded me vaguely of how you walk past the food prep areas at Sunshine Seasons at Epcot, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or maybe like the exposed kitchens at Sanaa. It was sort of a blend of those two things for me. I thought all of them were were very good. I will say the prices are, I think, a little low. So like the, right now, I think the the least expensive bowl, the chicken or the tofu, are eleven fifty. Mm-hmm. Going up to thirteen dollars for the beef and the sustainable fish. My my sense is those are introductory prices. Mm-hmm. There's need that they'll go up to fifteen dollars by the end of the year or whatever. In general, I thought they were good. I think surprisingly, the best base mm-hmm. that they had was the kale salad. Really? Yeah, it seems to go very well with the. Uh, there's like a creamy herb dressing. Yeah. That's a choice along with a what a black bean vinaigrette and right the charred chimichurri. chimichurri. There we go. There we go. And I would I would rank them this way. The creamy herb, I think, is the best sauce, especially if you're getting the chicken or the beef. The chimichurri, if you're getting the beef. 
and then I would write the the black bean one last. It didn't seem to have have any sort of uh, enough flavor to complement the base. The bases themselves are rather plain, and some of the meats, like the the tofu or the sustainable fish, again, relatively plain. You need something to you need a sauce to do something with that. I think the herb, the kumi herb, or the the chimichurri there goes really well. I was really impressed with the fried tofu bowl. I'm not a, a whole a huge fan of tofu. The tofu actually acts as, as croutons right. in the salad. So <laughs> really, with a, with a creamy herb dressing, it was very, very good. I thought the chicken was my, was the next best choice. The grilled beef was the third. The sustainable fish was fine. The problem with a fish mm-hmm. in this setting is unless you get it right out of the oven, it's going to dry out a little bit. And ours was just slightly dry. Yeah, um, I, none of it was bad. I would, I would agree with the, the fish. We didn't get to do... The pods, the, what is it, the, the cheeseburger The bao pod. buns. Yeah. The bao buns, so yeah. you, you, These are typically appetizers in Chinese restaurants. They're stuffed mm-hmm. with uh, minced pork, yep. uh, heavily seasoned. Uh, so they're steamed pork buns. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, the filling is cheeseburger. I liked it, actually. I mm-hmm. thought it was, it was more of a sloppy joe for me than, than cheeseburger. Okay. There, wasn't, there, there wasn't enough cheese, I think, to, to sort of bind it together as cheeseburger. I thought it was interesting. It was a definitely a different texture mm-hmm. for the buns. Definitely the cheeseburger... Flavor came through. If they threw in a pickle in there, I think it would be a slightly more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't bad. Laurel had the vegetable steamed curry pods. I thought they were a little more plain than the cheeseburger. So of the two, I liked the cheeseburger a bit more, but they were absolutely fine. The thing that I did like with those, they both came with what looked to be house-made vegetable chips, like potato chips, but instead of out of vegetables. And I thought those were very good. Yeah, I would, the, I would order those as sides. The interesting thing is the kid menu does reflect a lot of this, but I got a great story from the head of the flavor lab as they were working on this. They bring in the parents, they bring in the kids, and they show the parents first the food they're going to be serving the kids. And the parents were immediately, oh, God, there's no way they're going to eat that because mm-hmm. it's all touching. <laughs> and so, you know, Disney was like, oh, geez, we hadn't thought of that. But they, they presented it to the kids, and evidently 90% of the kids just wolfed the stuff down. They really enjoyed it. That there the were, pods. Yeah. Well, the, not yeah, the pods yeah. as well as the, the, the satay bowls. Anyway to accommodate that 10% of kids who won't eat things that touch. So they did a, what is it, a, a hot dog wrapped in, in Parker. I tried it. How was that? Yes. It's, it's not bad. So we've all had these as kids. Our parents made them for us. You take out the Pillsbury biscuits in a can. Mm-hmm. You wrap them around hot dogs. You bake them. Voila, dinner is served. Mm-hmm. It's exactly that. It was good. It was a generous helping of dough and a fairly large hot dog. Again, with came with the vegetable chips came with grapes, came with a drink, water, or low-fat milk. I actually got a Coke with it because I'm that, I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. They do a, a miniature version of the cheeseburger steamed pod. Mm-hmm. They do, of course, the internationally recognized cheese and bread combination of cheese quesadilla. That's actually a last-minute addition to the menu. Yeah, you can tell that. that which is, if you wanted to play which of these things is not like the other, it's, mm-hmm. it's that. No, 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 on the lunch and dinner menu, let's talk about breakfast because I think that's really interesting. Oh, well, I, I didn't do the breakfast menu. What's that like there? It's got some of the usual. It's got fresh fruit. It's got <laughs> French toast. A couple of interesting twists. You know, everyone does a breakfast burrito, scrambled eggs, mm-hmm. some sort of meat, cheese. That's in the steamed pod. No. They do a pork hash. They do a steak and eggs. The interesting thing, though, Jim, and I've seen two instances of this now mm-hmm. in Walt Disney World. It's a food item that you have to be 21 years old to order. Steel-cut oatmeal with bourbon. In this case, it's steel-cut oats. It's topped with caramelized brown sugar, so almost in a creme brulee style, 
with bourbon-soaked raisins, almonds, and goji berries. It's prepared with alcohol. You have to be 21 in order to uh, to order it. 750. Jim, if you are flying into Orlando late at night and just need a little quick pick-me-up, mm-hmm. steel-cut oatmeal uh, extra raisins, I'm thinking for you. Wow, okay. That sounds like a healthier choice than the actual two dessert items for here, the, the cheesecake and the... Um, the That's right, we didn't talk about dessert. Cheesecake yep. and the chocolate. Uh, of the two, the che- order the cheesecake. Don't, don't worry about the other. The cheesecake is actually delicious. But, but I, I spoke to someone mm-hmm. who tried the steel-cut oatmeal, bourbon oatmeal, and said it was magnificent Wow! for breakfast. They said it was, it was one of the best breakfasts they've had on Disney property. Okay. Right. I'm going down, give that a, give that a try. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that they serve for breakfast as well, remember we're, we're talking about as you walk into the land, mm-hmm. you travel across 4.5 million light years. What is it? I think it's 4.4, but who's going to quit? 4.4 light years, whatever. Yeah. Jim, you will be happy to note that in terms of the vast distances of interstellar space, mm-hmm. one food item from Earth has made it into the breakfast menu of the Navi people, and that is Fruit Loops, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> if I could look into the future, and I can say, Jim, what one piece of Earth culture would we want to share with the indigenous people of other worlds? It's got to be Fruit Loops. <laughs> Just hard to picture the heavy space cruiser loaded with Red dye number two, and <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, how much does it cost to lift a pound of payload into orbit? And but apparently, Fruit Loops are worth it. Mm. All right, so let's talk about the uh, the drinks. You can get Bloody Marys for breakfast. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, and they do a, they do a couple of uh, different uh, things. They do a sangria. It's a white sangria that's slightly blue. Mm-hmm. They do a couple of other drinks. The Pandoran Sunrise is non-alcoholic. It's juice and Powerade melon. The Pandoran Sunrise with a Navi flute cup. Yep. This is the mango, pineapple, lime, and melon. The pineapple garnish served with ice over a, uh, with a Navi flute cup. I made, the, the child that was drinking this, I made a Zamfir and the Magic Pen Flute joke, and no one got it. <laughs> I felt old. Uh, and then Laurel tried a couple of the other drinks. But yeah, they have like the tapioca balls. Mm-hmm. And then, so the straws are very, very wide, like the kind of straws that you would get if you were drinking a very thick milkshake to accommodate the bubbles. But uh, that was fine. I, yeah, I didn't oh, dislike I, any of them. I forgot to ask the, the really obvious question here. So this is supposedly the test site for the new mobile order thing. The thing that, you know, this was supposed to be part of Fast Pass, you know, back with the, the introduction. Seven so, years ago. Yeah. Did you ago. guys did thought, do that or? Wasn't running the day that we uh, we did it. But uh, uh, okay, I've heard some interesting things about it. One person who was playing with it on the app apparently realized that it is not location dependent. No. So you can order something from 20 miles away. <laughs> okay. That will probably be ring-fenced by the time this this episode comes out, Jim. Okay. <laughs> We're coming in hot. Yeah, I don't know if you, you send a drone to pick it up or whatever. Mm-hmm. The thing that I would like to mention, though, about this, did you notice that they have real plates with real silverware there? Yes. And not only that, if you look at the plates, no details ever looked. This was one of their main mess halls for the Valley of Morar. And so... When the expats came in and with the Navi people turned this into a place where people who are traveling with Ace doing the excursions Mm -hmm. is something to eat. 
they just went back into the old kitchen and found all these beaten up plates and put them back into service. And that's what they look like. I thought, I thought it looked great. I don't know how long this is going to last, Jim. <laughs> I got to say, you should go in and enjoy it while it's there because yeah. these are going to be paper plates for long. Yeah. But anyway, just some numbers background here. So I guess inside the actual mess hall area, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be seating for 330 with additional outdoor seating under that big thatched roof thing, which yes. again, supposedly the Navi people have built 190. So what is that? That's, you know, over 500, 520 can be in there eating at any one time. And, but at the same time, you know, Pogu, Pogu, Pongo, Pongo, whatever it is, is just across the way. And there's going to be some folks outside who've bought beverages and are sitting down there. Did you do that as well? Or... We ate inside, not outside. Inside, it feels to me like the Animal Kingdom Lodge. It's got the same basic shape. It's got, for all the world, most of the music, I think. You could, t- you could have told me that that music came from the Animal Kingdom Lodge, and I would have believed it, and you could put that music in the Animal Kingdom Lodge, and I would have, I would have probably believed that it, uh, that it fit in there as well. Okay, okay. My trip, I didn't make it to Pogo Pogo, but wasn't this the place that was going to have the drinks that actually had the cubes in them? That the Yeah, not yet. Okay. Uh, so I think that's one of those May 27 things that's going to happen. Nothing was glowing when we were there. And again, it's just going to be glow cubes. So that's fine. Okay. I mean, overall, I thought, the, I thought the food was good. Mm-hmm. If you compare it to like the food you can get in Dino Land, obviously this is much better than, yeah. than that. Yeah. They do let you do refillable Cokes, mm-hmm. which I think is also kind of interesting because there are relatively few places... In the parks where you can do that, Electric Umbrella is one. In uh, Dinoland is the is the other one. So I think that's good. Yeah, I, thought, I thought the food was fine. I think the prices actually are, are very reasonable for what they're doing. I would not be surprised if Disney increased those prices fairly soon. Yeah, overall, overall it was good. What this place needs, mm-hmm. I don't know if it necessarily needs a sit-down restaurant because Tiffin's is so close. Yep. What this place does need is more places outdoors to sit, especially in the, in the area around the value of Moana. It's interesting you say that because, for example, if you're walking to where you load in for the Navi River journey. Yeah, the far end. Yeah, that sidewalk there, that area there is huge. And you've got that interactive drum circle thing that's also there that the imaginary is if they'd had three months of soft opening, you probably would have seen some of this stuff come in. But for now, it's just sort of like... Let's get people in it and see how they use it. I think so, yeah. It's like this, uh, you've heard the saying that when colleges are built, they should never put in sidewalks. Instead, they should see where kids uh, wear paths and then put the sidewalks there. I, th- I, think, I think it's going to be this. Yeah. No, the, the, in fact, there's a story quite similar to that at, at Disneyland. Supposedly during 55, 56, Walt would stand there on weekends and watch what kids would run across the grass or take shortcuts or that sort of thing. And when the park was closed on Mondays and Tuesdays, he turned to his greens department and like, sidewalk here. See where there's no grass? Put, put a sidewalk there. Yeah. There we go. And I think, I think that's relatively straightforward to do. They can put benches in there. They'll have to make them themed. Obviously, they'll make sure that they fit into the environment, but that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely doable. I wonder how many benches well, we'll need to put in, but I think yeah. that'll, that'll be nice. I mean, to be able to grab a drink from Pongu Pongu and just sit back and watch the you know, evening fall mm-hmm. at Pinter, I think would be a lovely experience, and I think that's something that Disney needs to look at. So that'll be uh, something to look forward to uh, this year. All right, so you're heading down. Uh, you're heading down this week, right? This week, hope to get into the bioluminescent forest on the night of the twenty fourth. Before I then go to California and fall down the elevator shaft repeatedly at the old Tower of Terror and see how Guardians does. I don't know if you've been following any of the early word that's been coming out of cast member tests, and people are already evidently talking about the rocket 
AA figure that he's the highlight of the attraction. Oh, really? In the preload area, he gives you your brief before you're then sent in to rescue Star-Lord and company. Getting back to the Epcot thing, this is the first chess piece on the board for the the Marvel makeover of that side of the park. They built this whole Summer of Heroes promotion around that's what's going to get you into the park this year. It'll be interesting to see how quickly they fast-track the Captain America coaster and, and the other components of this that are due to get dropped in fairly soon. All right, so you're going to head out there, and then we'll do another show on that, and you'll tell us about uh, all about the not only the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, but the upcoming plans. There we go. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jamil. Please go into Stitcher and iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. Also, you could put an ad in Southwest Magazine's In-Flight Magazine because that's where Jim will be reading. <laughs> we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. <laughs> and we'll see you on the next show. Take care.